1: Hey, before today's episode, go to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. I've got a really fun one today. I know there's no Packers, but we have to have something to cheer for, right? I am going Kirk Cousins plus 0.5 interceptions and I am going Justin Fields plus 0.5 interceptions. We got to have something to cheer for after that tough Thursday night football game. I'm going to say that both Kirk Cousins and Justin Fields throw an interception on Sunday. That's what I'm going with. Hit me up in the comments with what picks you are making on prize picks. Again, go to prizepicks.com slash packaday. Use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100.
0: 20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast.
1: What's going on, Packer fans? Happy Sunday! Welcome into an all new episode of the Pack a Day podcast. I'm your host Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Pack a Day Podcast. Today, I'm going to be going over my film review of Packers and Lions, as well as my grades, best and worst grades. Why I love doing this is you have these games that are really, really bad, and you watch them live, or you watch them on the TV copy or whatever. Maybe you watch the condensed version. You you see it for the first time, and it feels really, really terrible. And then you get to go back, and you get to break it down play by play, and you watch the tape, and it's never ever quite as bad as it looked originally when you were watching it live, except this time. This was brutal to watch in just about every single phase. I mean, anytime you have a situation where they have more points than yards than you at like, you know, just a little bit of time remaining in the second quarter when it's 24 to three and you're just running like your 12th play of the game, when your defense can't hold up against the run, when your offense can't run the ball at all, it's going to be pretty ugly. But this was extremely, extremely ugly and really disappointing to watch. And we know all of the things that we expected going into this year. This is a young team. We've talked about it all off-season long. I don't need to tell you guys. I've said it all off-season long into the season. I'm going to say it again today. Like we know what to expect from a team like this. There's going to be those, those roller coaster moments. But we've seen this team, you can talk about whether it's Chicago or not, first three quarters against Atlanta, final quarter against the Saints. We've seen some pretty impressive moments from this team that has shown that this can be a competitive team kind of when they want to be. And I know that it's a lot to ask for a ton of consistency out of a bunch of players who have played very, very little time in this league. Totally get it. Totally understand it. But there is a level that this team can play at that on Thursday, they didn't even remotely come close to. They had no chance of winning that game. I know you can look at it and say like, hey, they made a little run and they got it within, what was it, 10 points at one point. There was no chance that they were going to win that game. I, I think if even if Green Bay somehow stormed storm back and took the lead and caught Detroit off guard, I think they would have been able to go down and score. I think it would have taken some massive mistakes from Detroit for Green Bay to win that game. It was a totally different class of team than what Green Bay had pretty much faced so far, but also they just got outclassed through the entirety of that game, period, end of story. Detroit was more prepared. They were better coached. They were ready for a primetime Thursday night football game. They wanted to be the kings of the NFC North and Green Bay came out flat they came out disinterested, they played with sloppy technique, they played with poor effort at times, like it was all the way around bad. And like I said, usually you watch the tape afterwards and you're like, "Oh, there's actually a lot of really positives to take away and a couple of balls bounce a different way and you you win that." No, not on this one. This one sucked. This one sucked really really bad. Uh, a couple of notes that I just took at the onset. Well, first of all, this was an offensive nightmare. But here's my note on defense. I said defensively, the defense plays as if they weren't aware you could take on or shed blocks. Period. This looked like a defense that once a, a Lion player, and it didn't matter who it was, and you want to know how I know that? Jared Goff blocked Kingsley and Igbari on that reverse. On that reverse that went 40 some yards, Jared Goff blocked in and sort of easily, this Packers team played that if a Detroit Lion got in their vicinity. It was like freeze tag. They Detroit lion tagged me. I'm out of this play. I'm done. I can't do anything anymore. I'm out. That's how green Bay's defense played. And you at some point have to play with a level of physicality that you have to be able to get off of blocks that you have to be able to shed that block and go make a play. Now we saw some players who were unblocked that were rallying to the football and getting there and making the the tackle and those sort of things but you know what happens in those situations. You end up making the tackle eight yards down the field and the opposing offense can get five yards, eight yards, six yards, seven yards, whatever it may be over and over and over again. And that's how they bleed you for 200 plus yards uh, on the ground, 200 plus yards rushing. So you have to, at some point, set the level of physicality. There were time after time, after time again, where it was like, Hey, edge rusher set an edge challenge. Can you set an edge? Can you just please get out there and set an edge? I am so sick of watching this team get outflanked because nobody wants to set an edge. It happens from time to time. I'm not saying it happens every single play or anything like that, but the the tape was littered at at times with players just not setting the edge. And that's been through this season. Like they're getting outflanked far more often than they should set the edge, funnel everything inside, you know, funnel it towards Kenny Clark and let them do some of the heavy lifting inside. Cause more often than not, they're able to do so, but they're not playing disciplined football and that's frustrating to see. And like I said, at some point, yeah, guess what? They've got 11 guys on offense and they have a lot of those players that are paid to block you and make it that it's difficult to go get the person with the ball welcome to the NFL. That is all 32 NFL teams. You have to go and find a way to make a play. And just the gap integrity, Quay Walker shooting through gaps that he had no right shooting through. I joked, you know, I was talking to someone, I joked, I'm like, sometimes it feels like the only gap that Quay shoots through is the wrong one. It, like there's a play where he has a, there's a hole right in the middle. And Quay can, if he shoots that gap, he's got the running back dead to rights in the backfield. 19 tackles in this game for Quay. How many were behind the line of scrimmage? One, and it was a, a combo tackle. So even if he like didn't get there, somebody else would have made the play anyway. It doesn't. Don't take it against him. He made. He got there and was you know behind the line of scrimmage. But 18 of those tackles were well past the line of scrimmage. In most cases, well, well past the line of scrimmage. And like Mike Wall said the other day, he's like a catcher's mitt. He's sitting you know, not sitting, but he's five, six yards, seven yards downfield when he's kind of catching that tackle and bringing somebody down. Now he did have, we'll talk about Quay more in just a moment, but he had a couple really good hits in this game, but I'm not talking just about Quay. The frustrating thing, the disappointing thing is that I'm talking about the defense more as a whole. And there are some scheme issues, no questions about it, but we're going to talk about a couple third down plays that Joe Barry had schemed up perfectly to get his defense off the field and one specific player completely screwed it up twice. We'll talk about that. There are other times where in a goal line situation, Green Bay doesn't have the right personnel on the field and doesn't have the right you know, players on the field, the right scheme. And Green, uh, Detroit just shoves it right down their throat, gets in the end zone, easy touchdown. So we can talk about the scheme. We can talk about the players. We can talk about all of it, but it all goes together. There were a lot of plays where Joe Barry had good stuff called and the players didn't execute. You know, And Joe Barry can point over there and say, like, look, it, I called the right play and my guys you know, didn't make the plays. What do, you, what do you want me to do? And there's other times where the players can be like, yeah, we would have loved to have made a play there, but we weren't even put in a position to make a play. So it's a little bit of everything. And offensively, my goodness, routes, Poor routes, not getting off of coverage, blocking was abysmal, abysmal. This team can't run block. This team cannot run block. And sometimes we can be prisoner of the moment and just be like, well, we remember what happened on Thursday. This is four games of not being able to run block. Four games. Had a couple of nice runs against the Bears. That's it. Can't run block. The physicality isn't there, the attention to detail isn't there, the technique's not there, it's just sloppy all the way around. You go and you watch those first, and it's but this once again, I'll say this, it's everyone. There are a couple of plays early in the game where Jordan had a swing pass that he could have taken. It's set up, you've got a blocker in front of it. The the play is designed to go, and if you don't have it, you take your little swing pass. And he didn't do that early in the game. There's one on a little slant to Romeo Dobbs. I posted the video, I think it's uh it's his first read. And he he sees Dobbs and he could take that throw. If he takes the throw, it's a short little pickup. The linebacker's there and the corner's trailing him. You know, it's possible that it's a four or five yard completion and Dobbs absorbs a pretty big hit from the linebacker on the play. That's how I read it. And more importantly, you look at it and that was his first read. And it's not like a great read. It's, it's an acceptable one. You could throw it but he has four players left that he can go through in his progressions. So he goes through, it just ends up that no, none of them are open. Now QB school, if you go watch him, he'll say he needs to hit that throw to Dobbs, or sorry, to, yeah, to Dobbs on the quick slant. says, there, take it, just take the throw. Don't always go big game hunting. Just take what's there. And Matt LaFleur in his post game press conference said, not necessarily in regards to that play, but overall, sometimes you have to take the little stuff, especially when the defense is attacking you and getting pressure with four guys like they were all game. Now, back the other way, what I will say is through three games, Jordan had all day to throw the ball and this was like the first the first or second drive of the game. So he's probably thinking my offensive line's been great all year. If I don't really like if I don't love this first read, I can st- I still have four more and my offensive line's going to give me time. So his clock hadn't adjusted yet. Now it probably took him a little bit too long kind of going into the second half for that clock to adjust. But like I said, he's more used to having that time and having the protection in the first 3 weeks. So He's like, yeah, that first read, it's okay. I could pick up four yards, but I've got four other guys I can go to, and he goes through his progressions. By the time he gets through his progressions and nobody else is open, he gets sacked. You go back to the first one, and in hindsight, you'd say, yeah, you should have made that throw, but I can understand why he didn't with it being the first read. And then Kirk Benkert, who's got some familiarity with this offense, knows the concept and knows the play and said, yeah, he could throw to Romeo, but what he's thinking and how the play is designed is a little stick and nod to Luke Musgrave. And on that stick and nod, Musgrave runs a terrible route and it's not open at all. So based on the coverage and what Kurt is saying, based on the coverage and based on what he's expecting, this should go to Musgrave and it should potentially be a big play, but Musgrave doesn't run it right. So the, and th- this is the beauty. Football and watching film sometimes is the ultimate Rorschach test, which is why I will always tell you every single time my grades are not perfect. I'm going to tell you what I see. I'm going to grade it as I see it but there's always a different way in a viewpoint of looking at things. PFFs are not perfect. Mine are not perfect. The person who writes the story immediately after the game and gives letter grades, not perfect. It's all like even QB school and and Kirk Benkert have a slightly different way of looking at it, but we're all just sort of giving you the information of like what we see on the field. And that's why I'm trying to give you my viewpoint, Kirk's viewpoint, QB school's viewpoint, it's all sometimes a little bit different. That's why football, a lot of times, is the ultimate Rorschach test. You can all see it in a little bit of a different way. And sometimes on a play, you can be like, oh, that's that's Jordan's fault. Or then they, you could another person might say, oh, that's so-and-so's fault. But it's it, in this case, it didn't really matter. There's just a lot of really, really bad stuff on tape. So you could assign blame maybe in some different ways or different varieties. And this one, it all came down to very, very poor play on the field. Some really easy ways there's there's two plays that really stood out to me as like a perfect indicator of this game. The first one is both teams have goal line situations on the two-yard line. Now, the one I posted on Twitter, it's like you look at it, they're at the two-yard line in Green Bay's in a super disadvantageous situation. However, what I think Jersey Allen, and a couple other people pointed out is that Detroit, it was like, I think it was like maybe first and goal from the eight. And then it was second and goal from the two, something to that extent. And when they had first and goal in the eight, they go in 11 personnel. Joe Barry goes nickel defense. They get six yards and then they kept everything on the field so that Green Bay couldn't sub. And then you ultimately ended up in a situation where Green Bay just could not stop a two yard run. That's all well and good. But a couple things, A, there's not an excuse there. You have to be able to call a defense especially that you know they could go no huddle. If you think th- that drive started in the red zone, this was following um you know the, the I think it was the turnover by Green Bay. Um, but either way, like they, they get great field position. You're going out there and yeah, so it was the Jordan Love interception. So it was the love pick that they returned to like the eight-yard line or whatever. So you're going out there in first and eight with a disadvantageous group of players that if they run the ball, you're you're outgunned anyway. And if they get it closer and they do go no huddle, you're completely outgunned. So long story short, what happened is you get second and goal from the two and Detroit's in an 11 personnel, but they've got their five offensive linemen, which are really, really good. And their tight end lined up tight on the line. And what does Green Bay have? They have two defensive linemen and it's TJ Slayton and Carl Brooks are their two defensive linemen. You got two edge rushers, which is Justin Hollins and Kingsley Nibari. You've got two off-ball linebackers, which are undersized linebackers, and Quay Walker and Isaiah McDuffie that are playing off a little bit. And you've got Keyshawn Nixon that's kind of creeping in from the slot. So there is no chance that McDuffie, Quay, or Nixon are getting off of a block from any of those offensive linemen. And more importantly, at the point of attack... All you have to do is double those two defensive linemen and TJ Slayton, you feel okay about like there's not many people that Green Bay can put in outside of Kenny Clark that you're going to feel better about than TJ Slayton trying to take on that double team. But Carl Brooks or Inigbare or Justin Hollins, you double them, they're getting pushed backwards. And what ultimately happens is you get an easy two yard run for a touchdown. I don't even know if he's touched on the play, but the defense had no chance. They had no chance to stop that run. And if you are going to be caught off guard, then you have to have something where you're getting everyone closer to the line of scrimmage. Like you can't just go out and play your your nickel defense and, and expect you to be able to stop the run in that situation. And surprise, surprise, they couldn't. They didn't. Now, on the other side, I posted another video where Green Bay has the ball on the two-yard line trying to run the ball. So they try to run the ball with A.J. Dillon. And here was the damning thing for Green Bay. Detroit has like seven or eight, I think it was like eight defenders in the box. Quite a bit different than Green Bay's, but they've got eight defenders in the box, and every one of them gets like blocked. This is seven or eight, doesn't matter. Every one of them gets blocked by a Green Bay Packer. That sounds good. However, not a single one moved even an inch backwards. Green Bay with the wide receivers, the tight ends, the offensive line against the defensive ends, the edge rushers, the linebackers, it didn't matter not one of those Detroit Lions players went backwards. You can talk about A.J. Dillon needing to be better in goal-to-go situations. If the entire offense cannot move the opposing team backwards at all, good luck, A.J. Dillon. Good luck, Jonathan Taylor. Good luck, Barry Sanders. Good luck, Reggie Bush. Good luck, whoever else. Marshall Falk, Jim Brown, Walter Payton. Doesn't matter. You're not doing anything. You have to be able to move the opposing defense in some way. And it's just a wall. It is just a wall of humanity because Green Bay's offensive line cannot move anybody. So that's the two different goal line situations. And there was another one, by the way, where David Montgomery walks in untouched and they're just outflanked. And Brian uh, Baldinger did a great video on that. You get two easy non-touch touchdowns for David Montgomery and AJ Dillon tries to run and it's just a sea of humanity. Nobody's moved. That's the difference between these two teams. If you sometimes the box score doesn't tell the story at all. Sometimes 200 yards rushing versus 25 yards rushing, whatever it was, tells the entire story. And I can explain it to you and show or, you know tell you some of the things that happened on the tape. But in this case, the box score tells the story. The other one for Green Bay, and this just goes to show you again, like it does. Sometimes it doesn't matter what Matt Lafleur calls. If you can't block up front, you're just screwed. And Matt Lafleur called a play with an eight man protection. It's a two man route. Now the two man route was completely covered up as well. Credit Detroit's defense for that. But there's an out for that. You're in an eight man protection. Detroit's rushing four as they did all day long. Detroit's rushing four, you're protecting with eight. So you've got eight man protection, love, and then the two wide receivers. Two wide receivers are covered. So after the initial blocks, the running back and the tight end are set to go out in the flat so that you have a check down and the checkdown would have theoretically worked. However, the, they get home in like three seconds on an eight-man protection on a four-man rush. Everyone should be doubled. And in fact, I think it was Isaiah Buggs on that play, he splits Royce Newman and Josh Myers for a sack on an eight-man protection on a double team. That's the type of day it was for Green Bay. So you're not you know, blocking anyone from a run blocking standpoint, they're splitting double teams from a pass blocking standpoint. They're getting home with four rushers over and over and over and over again. And what do you want to call in that situation when your offensive line can't block for the run and they can't block for the pass? What play do you have in mind? Good luck because there's not many out there that are going to be able to Now, I'm not absolving anyone of anything at this point. You want to be mad at just about anyone on this team for that game by all be my guest brian gutikens joe barry matt lafleur adam Stenovich, luke butkus jerry montgomery insert name here uh you know it doesn't matter you can insert basically a pretty much any player and coach and gm and anything else and put it in there and there, there's fault to be had on everyone in that game no question about it so that's that's the tape in a nutshell Let's get to some of the grades. Fun times. All right. So my top three offensive grades, Josiah DeGuara plus 0.4. If Josiah DeGuara is your top graded player, either something has gone insanely right or insanely wrong. Because if he's your best graded player and he's like, and everyone else was really good too, like, all right, things are really good. If he's your best, normally things have probably gone a little bit wrong. But this is also, by the way, if you ever want to know like, oh, Andy just has like an ego and whatever. I talked all week about, I'm done with the Josiah DeGuara experience. And then like, all right, now I have egg on my face. I look stupid. I could have just been like, oh, I'm not going to give Josiah DeGuar a good grade. I just talked crap about him all week. No, he played really well in this game. I'm happy to be wrong. More than happy to be wrong. I hope, uh, like I said, every single week, I want all these guys to go out and play like Hall of Famers. That would be amazing. But Josiah DeGuar, really nice day. I thought he blocked really well, blocked much better. And then once Musgrave went down, he actually got a little bit of time as like a true tight end and he performed well in that situation. Had a couple really nice catches, got a little after the catch here and there, but just a nice performance from Josiah DeGuar. Was it your normal 1A performance of somebody that's number one on the list? No. Usually a plus plus point four performance isn't even getting in the top three. But I like the day for Josiah. I'm certainly not going to talk crap about him on this. It's like the one player we shouldn't be talking crap of. He had a nice day. So kudos to Josiah on this day. Jaden Reed, plus 0.35. There At the beginning of this game, it was a tough day for Jaden. He wasn't really getting off of much from a coverage standpoint. Uh, he wasn't opening up and just didn't do much. And then I thought in the second half, and part of that's a little bit of garbage timey, but he still worked hard for it. He had the play where the the play technically expired, and he catches the 40-some yard pass, which was a beautiful catch on his side of things. Had a couple other catches in the game, and he really kind of came on more towards the end. Had the nice catch for the two-point conversion in the back of the end zone where he did a nice job getting open. Great, great, great play design on that one, by the way. But um, overall, he came on strong in the second half, plus 0.35 grade. Number three, Samore Toure, plus 0.25. Basically, just the big catch he had along the sidelines from Jordan Love. That was the big one. He didn't really do much else in the game, but uh, that was a very positive play. A little bit, again, garbage timey, but still credit the dude for, for making that spectacular catch in that situation.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So you guys really need to make Little Caesars, which is the
1: official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day routine. Pizza is the ultimate game day food. There is no question about it. If there's one thing that rivals my love for the Green Bay Packers and my love of football, it's my love of pizza. And right now you can actually order online during their pizza pizza pregame. It's one hour before NFL games and you can get ready for football, fun, choose your favorite little Caesars pizza, pick the toppings that you crave. Me, this is going to sound weird. I know because you know uh, my pickiness with food. I love mushroom and onion. That is my absolute favorite pizza. I know it's probably not everyone else's. And of course, you know, you love my food takes, but I love mushroom and onion pizza. I love it from Little Caesars. Either way, you win. And speaking of winning, everyone's going to score with convenient delivery. They also have their in store pizza portal. So you can pick up, you can grab some friends, enjoy a few slices during the tastiest hour before kickoff. Trust me, you are going to love it. And, and if I have to recommend one thing for sure, have to get the crazy bread. The crazy bread is an absolute must. Enjoy it, enjoy your game day, and enjoy it more with Little Caesars. Fellas, are you running into some stubble trouble? Are you dreaming of that clean shaven look? By but hate going through the hassle of a wet shave every other day. I know you are. That's why we've partnered with Manscaped. The brand for below the waist is coming to save that beautiful face. Yes, sir. Manscaped now has beard products and is going a step further with the launch of their brand new handyman electric face shaver. It's designed to give your face that smooth and chiseled finish without the mess of a traditional shave. Make sure to join the 9 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Head over to manscaped.com and use code packaday for 20% off and free shipping. You may have noticed my recently cleanly shaved face over on the YouTube channel channel, and that perfect shave was brought to you by Manscaped's Handyman. The best part is I was able to get the exact shave I wanted without any of the usual mess of traditional shavers. I've also used their signature Beard Hedger, which is a juggernaut of fixing faces. You can trim your beard to 20 different lengths, all in one guard, so using this thing is amazing and basically it's perfect. No matter what tool you use, you can't go wrong with Manscaped's line of products. Right now you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code Packaday at Manscaped.com That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using code Packaday. That's P-A-C-K-A-D-A-Y, no hyphens. Hit that refresh button with the handyman. It's finally football season, which means it's time to get some Jordan Love entries in prior to this weekend's game. The great thing for me is that they offer Apple Pay, which makes depositing money into my account so incredibly easy. So, what are you waiting for? Join me on prize picks by going to slash packaday and use code PACKADAY for a first deposit match up to $100. That's slash packaday using code PACKADAY for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks. Daily fantasy sports made easy. All right, my bottom three. Lowest graded players in this one. This might surprise you guys. Royce Newman, my lowest graded offensive player, negative 1.75. This was a brutal day for Royce Newman. And there's no excuses, in my opinion, to like just keeping on with the same thing at this point. He got beat in the run game. He got beat in the pass game. There are very, very, very few plays where he actually won on the play and he got beat all day throughout the entirety of that game and in some embarrassing ways. I posted one where he's pulling out to the right. He's got Aiden Hutchinson. Is it Aiden Hutchinson? Yes, it's Aiden Hutchinson. I get it. I would not like to block Aiden Hutchinson. That sounds really like a bad idea, but he's coming across. He's got Aiden Hutchinson on a pull, and I can understand if he gets onto Aiden and Aiden just beats the block and goes and makes the play. Aiden Hutchinson's really good. He just whiffs on the block entirely. He like Superman's right by him. Aiden just makes a little slight little cut inside and Royce just goes flying. And that is one thing. Mistakes happen. We're all human. We're all going to make them. So he gets, he gets outside. He Superman's misses Hutchinson entirely. And then Dylan cuts outside. And if Royce even just gets up on the play, if he just gets up and then like, all right, who can I block next? He's going to take the next person, which is going to be Brian Branch, who comes screaming down and makes then the play on AJ Dillon. If Newman just gets up in a reasonable period of time and goes to search for that next block, Dillon might actually have an alley there where he can go make a play because he made a really nice play to get outside that he shouldn't have because Royce completely missed on his block. But Dillon makes a guy miss. And then if Royce just gets up and blocks the next dude, so you make the mistake, you completely whiff, and then you stay on the ground too long. Get up! Get up and go make the next block. That's frustrating. He gets lifted up. It, go watch the last play of the first half where it looks like they're probably going to try to do like some sort of Hail Mary. He just gets forklifted for 10 yards back into the quarterback. And you watch it, and Rasheed Walker looks like the player who's really at fault on the play because it's his guy that gets the sack. So you have to remember... On the tackles, the tackles are expecting that the quarterback's going to play in that pocket. So you're taught as an offensive tackle, if the guy's taking a big loop around you, like you can just kind of keep working him around because that quarterback's going to stay in the pocket. Well, on this play, Royce Newman's just getting forklifted back into the quarterback. So Jordan has to keep dropping back, 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 back. And all of a sudden, before you know it, like Rashid Walker, now he's thinking that he has all of that space to kind of push the guy by. Well, now Jordan's on that space. And so Rasheed, it was not a great block by Rasheed either. He needed to do better there, but it's going to look like it's all on Rashid when really like Jordan should have had the space to step up in the pocket there and still get rid of the ball or at least do something. And instead it's just a sack on Rasheed's guy because Royce Newman couldn't block at all on the play. And that was just a small handful of plays that took place from Royce in this one. A really, really bad day for Royce. John Runyon Jr. had his second really bad performance in a row. This is a contract year for John. I really thought that he had a chance to make a real impact, and so far he hasn't. I will say this. He got injured early in this game with a pretty bad ankle injury. In fact, on Monday, it was reported, I think by Rob Domovsky, that he was in a walking boot in the locker room. So He played through some crap in that game. So That's admirable. No question about it. And that's something, that's another thing when you want to talk grades, like we don't know what players are going through from a mental standpoint, from a physical standpoint. We don't know that, that, that all, the, all the time. We don't know that stuff. But I know in this game, John fought through a pretty bad ankle injury. So you can have maybe a little bit more forgiveness for that in that situation. But at some point you still, if you can't play, then you got to find somebody who can fill in whatever. Uh, like I said, it's admirable that he played through it, but this was a tough game for for him as well. Pass rush, run blocking, didn't matter. Struggled all day long against Detroit's interior, who just outmuscled and outphysical the Green Bay's offensive line all day long. And then number three, Rasheed Walker, 0.85. Tough day for Rashid. Bad day against Atlanta. Good day against New Orleans. Bad day in this one against Detroit. You know, he got uh he got beat on a couple different occasions. We talked about one on the Hail Mary play, and then just the rest of the day, just the, some of the technique stuff. He got beat inside. He the twists and stunts just ate Green Bay alive. And I do think, and we'll talk about this a little bit at the end as well, but like, I think if Elton Jenkins is there, you, those two probably play a little bit better together. But when you've got Royce, that's just getting beaten over and over. And then Rashid's like, every, he's just looking inside of like, all right, do I have a twist or stunt? I think there's a lack of communication there for players who haven't played together before. It just, it was a nightmare all the way around on the offensive line. So Royce Newman, John Running Jr. and Rasheed Walker, my three lowest. Deguara, Reed, and Toure, my three highest. Other just honorable mentions. I know people were asking of like, why didn't Romeo Dobbs grade higher? He had a really nice day on the plays that he caught. There was a play early in the game where Jordan Love had him coming open over the middle of the field, and Dobbs stopped on the route. We also found out on Monday when when asked, Matt Lafleur said it was Romeo's fault on that interception in the red zone that Romeo needed to continue his route and not go to the back corner of the end zone. So. That one was on Romeo too. So there's a couple rough plays for Romeo in this one, but he evened it out. He had a one grade just because he had a really nice day outside of those, but that's why it wasn't higher. Jordan Love had a one grade in this game. PFF actually had a positive grade on him as well. A lot of the stuff that was breaking down around him was really, really bad. The interception, the first one, he was, I thought, late on the throw more than anything. And you still, if if the linebacker's dropping into that zone, you have to have vision on it. Also, the guy to the right would have been coming wide open if he went to his second read. So that's a tough one. Also, on the second interception, he's expecting Romeo to stay. But like right before he releases, he can, I think, see that Romeo is going to break it off. Like I think you just have to like throw it into the dirt or something. Those are tough, like millisecond decisions. But I think he maybe could have, I don't even know if he could have held onto it, but just like spike it at his feet or something. I thought overall, there were some big time job description throws in this game from Jordan Love, where he stepped up into a really tough pocket, took some big hits and still delivered on time. So there's a lot of positives to take away, but a more up and down game for Jordan in this one, for sure, which has kind of been his MO through four weeks so far. But those are the offensive uh, takeaways on defense top three graded players, Rashawn Gary, plus 0.6, Carl Brooks, plus 0.5, and Colby Wooden, plus 0.2. A really, couple really nice plays from Carl Brooks in this game. I thought he had a, a nice game. PFF didn't like him as much. I'm not sure why, uh, but he got a sack, which he didn't do a ton on that to get the sack, but he got a sack, knocked down a pass, had a couple other pressures, had a really nice play where he jackknifed in. He, uh, I think he was the one, I have to think about it, but I think he was the one who actually drew a holding penalty as well. So nice day from Carl Brooks. Rashawn Gary, just a beast. And you know the only reason it's not even higher is just because he played so few snaps. But he made an impact on his limited snaps in this one. And then Colby Wooden had a couple of nice plays as well. Nothing spectacular, but I thought this was a step up for Wooden. And you like to see those two rookie defensive linemen and Carl Brooks and Colby Wooden playing a little bit better. You might, like, here's the other thing that I need to point out too is, does that mean that they are better than Devontae White or Kenny Clark? No, well, Kenny Clark got doubled all day. And if Colby Wooden or Carl Brooks had to play as much as specifically Kenny Clark did, like they would have gotten eaten alive. They would have both ended up with like negative, probably like one point something grades. So Green Bay's protecting them more by playing them more rotational snaps in situations where they're going to be successful. And if Kenny got to play, you know, only 15 snaps and go in and, you know, cherry pick the plays that he went in on for, he'd go out and dominate those 15 plays as well. So there's a difference there, but just know that there, that has to factor into things when you're thinking about it as well. Defensively, uh, bottom three graded players, Darnell Savage, negative 0.95, Razul Douglas, negative 0.9, and Quay Walker, negative 0.85. Darnell Savage had the two plays that I talked about earlier on third down that he was in just completely responsible for. So on the first one, he's sitting as a uh, robber in coverage, and he shoots up to the underneath receiver for no apparent reason and leaves the other receiver wide open in the middle of the field. That is his area of the field that he is responsible for. And he just completely goes and tries to make a play somewhere else. It's an easy first down in the middle of the field. Would have been, I think a, I don't know if it would have been a three and out, but they would have got off the field on that third down, would have been Green Bay's ball. And instead, because of Savage on that play, they pick up a first down. There's another play later in the game, the one where Amon Ross St. Brown came across the middle and like made like three people miss. The first person that missed was Darnell Savage. That was his spot. That was his man. Savage comes up, allows the completion. That's fine. That's not a big deal in that situation and not Darnell's fault. He just makes the tackle there. He's down. Detroit has to punt the ball away. Instead, Amon Ross St. Brown makes him miss, makes another person miss, gets the first down, and the drive continues. So two big third downs that Barry had the perfect play call on. They should have been off the field on both of those situations. And instead, Savage messed it up. Savage took some really bad angles. His instincts were off in this one. Just a, We saw 2021 and 2022 Darnell Savage in this one, which is not the Darnell Savage that you want to see. I still like the effort from Savage. There is an increase in effort. He's still flying around a little bit, but this one was bad flying around. He was bad instincts or no instincts, not making the right reads and allowing some things that should not have been allowed. At some point, the effort, effort's great, but you still have to be responsible for your job. Razul gave up the big first down on the opening drive, uh, to Laporta. And then the next play, they baited him entirely. And he took the bait hook line and sinker. And then they got an easy touchdown on it. Those are the two egregious ones. And then the rest of the day played slightly below average. And then Quay Walker, 19 tackles, clearly a huge day, right? It matters where you make those tackles. You make 18 of the 19 well down the field. And I'm not saying all of them were, but like they were all past the line of scrimmage. And most of them were well down the field. It's not going to grade as well. And here's the other thing. Took poor, uh, your, did not play with gap responsibility, shot through gaps that he should not have, did not take on blocks, did not shed blocks. It's one thing, like, if, if you're sitting there in the middle of the field and the guy runs up to you and you make the tackle, that is your job. That should be done. That's the minimum expectation. If, like, there's not many plays, if any plays on tape, where he's going, jacking up a blocker, shedding that blocker, and going and making a big play or making a big tackle, there's none of that from Quay in this game. So it's great that he got some of the tackles. It's not so great where they were. And it's not great that he, you know, they're not impact tackles. He had two huge hits in the passing game. Those were awesome. That's big time hits and really quick reactions. It's never going to be all terrible, but I thought this was a tougher day for Quay than we've seen from him so far this season. A couple other quick ones. Carrington Valentine, 005 Uh, He, I think, would have had a pick six if Jared Goff was just accurate on a throw. He threw right at Carrington. Carrington was all over it. And unfortunately, Goff just threw it high and out of bounds, and I don't think on purpose. So nice coverage. I thought he had a decent day. Matt LaFleur mentioned that they had basically a situation where they thought Valentine and Valentine were both going to play some. If they were in like a... If Detroit was down and in a pass-only situation, it sounds like they were going to play Valentine more. If Detroit was up and in a run-only more situation, it sounded like they were going to play Valentine more, and that's what they ultimately ended up doing. Kenny Clark, I mentioned, plus 0.0 on this game. He uh, just got doubled a lot. Didn't Detroit wasn't going to let Kenny Clark wreck the game. They were going to make somebody else beat them. Rashawn had a couple of nice plays, but for the most part, nobody else did, and it was a good strategy by Detroit. Edge position in this game outside of Rashawn Gary, negative 1.9. Edge rushers were really, really tough at setting the edge, getting to the quarterback. And even Penny Sewell, really freaking good, by the way. So as Decker, like they got two really good bookend tackles, which makes it difficult. But uh, these edge rushers, besides Rashawn, got eaten alive. And then uh, offensive grade for the day in total, negative 3.25. Defensive grade for the day, total negative 4.6. So a very brutal score. I could tell you just by looking at that, that yeah, Green Bay lost that game easily. Uh, that's a, That's a really tough day overall. Ugly, ugly, ugly game. The questions are going to be, was it just a one-off? Was it just, you know, they'll they'll bounce back from it. Don't worry about it. I don't feel that way because a huge part of the Saints game was a lot of the same stuff and they didn't learn from it. So that's a little bit concerning to me. Is this just the youth and inexperience kicking in? Maybe a little bit, but they need to make sure that they're playing more consistent football. And that's on the coaching staff and the players. And then, do they make the corrections going into Vegas? I think that's going to be the really big question moving forward. That game's in primetime, second consecutive primetime game for Green Bay, Monday Night Football. They need to go into Vegas and play an entirely different game than what they showed against Detroit and show you know, the the pride and the integrity that they have to play the game the right way. So, that's what I'm looking for moving forward. A couple other questions I wanted to address really, really quick. A lot of people are, not a lot, but a couple people online were like, Andy, you and all the beat writers and everyone else talked about how amazing the depth is on this offensive line, and they've looked terrible so far. So what the heck happened? There's different versions of depth. Most importantly, what I'll say here is if the starting offensive line you feel pretty good about. Maybe, maybe it was slightly overestimated, but I still think overall, in comparison to the rest of the league, Bakhtiari, Jenkins, Myers, Runyon, and Tom you feel really good about that offensive line. As a run blocking line, maybe not so much, but as a pass protection line, very much so. And I think they would have figured it out, especially on the left side of the line to you know get their run game going sooner rather than later with that line. Now, if just Bakhtiari goes out and you need to play Rasheed Walker or Yash Nyman or one of those guys with that group, you still feel really good. Or if one of those guys is out and it's just Elton Jenkins and you need to play, you know, maybe Rashid goes to right tackle and Zach Tom goes to left guard, you feel really good. If Myers goes down and you need to again maybe put Zach Thomas at center, Rashid at right tackle, you feel good. If if any one of those guys goes down, you feel pretty good about it. If two of those guys go down, I right, well now like who is it? If if Runyan and and Myers go down, okay, maybe not the worst thing in the world. You can probably get by Zach Thomas at center, Rashid Walker at right tackle and then maybe you know Royce or Sean Ryan at guard for a little bit or however you want to play it. But the issue here is you had in this game specifically Bakhtiari out. Now he's likely out for the year. Elton Jenkins out. You're, so now your two best guys are out. Plus Zach Tom banged up, clearly not himself in this game. And John Runyon has the ankle injury, clearly not himself in this game. So yes, they have good depth, but you don't want it to be in place of Bakhtiari and Jenkins and have two other guys beat up on the line as well. So that's where that's where I'm at. It's, it's kind of the guys that matter of who actually gets hurt. I think the other thing is Yash really has seemingly taken a big step back where you felt a little bit better about that, you know, going into the year. They don't trust Yash right now, it seems like. And maybe more importantly, like he did not look good in preseason or camp. So it's understandable why maybe they don't. But that's why uh, the de- I always talk about depth as like a starting rotation for pitchers. You need your ace, you need your number two, your three, your four, and your five. You can get by with a couple of guys that are four point five, you know, ERA guys if you need to at the you know end of the rotation. But you need your ace and two really good pitchers. And for Green Bay, their ace Bakhtiari and their number two pitcher Elton Jenkins both out. And then their number three Zach Tom is playing with an injury. Their number four John Running Jr. playing with an injury, and they don't look like themselves. And then your five Josh Myers is fine, but he's your five. And then the next guys you come in maybe aren't starting caliber rotational players like. Royce Newman. So that's why the depth maybe doesn't quite look the the way that it is. All right. That is going to do it for me today. Thank you so much for joining me. I wish I had better news for you on this, but uh, it was some ugly tape and I'm not going to sugarcoat anything if it doesn't deserve sugarcoating. Shout out to the new members, Lee Kostick and Tyler T. Thanks so much for becoming Packaday Podcast YouTube members. If you haven't yet, what are you waiting for? Make sure to check that out. Subscribe if you haven't already. Shout out to our uh, Hall of Fame and all pro members, Most Hated Minnesotan, PJ Wynn, John Wilde, Shea Bradad, Arnaldo Arnoldo Espinosa, Jennifer Wright, Boom Handle, and Donald Lee. Always, always, always appreciate you guys for supporting me, the channel, Packaday Podcast, et cetera. I will see you guys right back here tomorrow with an all new episode. But until next time, and as always, Go Paco.